With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Talk that matters. Germ Warfare and Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Germ Warfare at tntradio.live. It's my email address as always. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to those who send me emails. And by the way, because it's the end of the year, I am expecting you to send me an email and tell me how amazing my show is and has been. Um, if you're watching on YouTube or Rumble, hi. So it's nice to see you or, or virtually see you. Actually, I can't see it all. Uh, all I'm looking at is myself and, and Alex, <laughs> who's, uh, who's helping out in the, in the studio, making sure things sound good. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm actually amazed that YouTube hasn't flagged TNT Radio yet. It's, it's pretty incredible stuff. Um, I remember when I used to have a YouTube channel, um, because it was banned, it was taken down, uh, I, you know, I had to figure out ways to get around the algorithm, and then I then I thought, nah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry with this nonsense. And then I let YouTube ban me. Uh, it's too much effort to try and speak in code. Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's quickly do the sweeper, Alex. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. There's a lot going on, so it's important to stay informed and up to date. Get ready, cause here we go. At the top, thirty minutes past, and when it breaks. Today's News Talk Radio TNT. All right, it's a bit annoying. Uh, I was supposed to have a guest, but uh, he hasn't pitched. Happens uh, every so often. And um, hey, listen, it's one of those things. You, you, when you have as many guests as I do, every so often uh, they just either forget or oversleep, if you know, or whatever it might be. So you'll have to just keep keep me company. Uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll chat a little bit, and uh, if he pitches up, he pitches up. If not, well, you have me for the next hour. I thought what I might do is um, just reflect a little bit. Uh, I've had a, it's that time of the year and I've had a long line of conversations uh, over the last 12 months and um, lots to think about. It's been a hell of a trip. The journey has been amazing. I've learned a lot from my guests. One of the things that that I, I, I figure out about myself every single day, the more people I speak to, the more I realize uh, how little I know. Uh, and um, if I go right back to pretty much the beginning of the year, if I look here, uh, I spoke to Professor Case van der Pel, a Dutch professor uh, in, the, in the Netherlands. And he came onto my TNT show and he explained to me why uh, Russia won't lose, cannot lose, impossible to lose in, in Ukraine. And I remember a few people saying, ah, how can you, how can you make that prediction? Well, he was right. Russia has pretty much won. Um, it's just a matter of cleaning up now and just sweeping and tidying up. But I mean, the United States has effectively pulled out and, uh, and has, has, has pivoted to the Middle East where it'll probably also uh, have to pull out at some point because Israel is very much losing the propaganda war. It's uh, it's been an interesting time for them. It's very obvious, very obviously not going in Israel's favor. The world is is really really pushing back now against very very aggressive um, 
what did you call it? I, I know, I, I know other, other shows refer to it as a genocide. I suppose I could use that term, but certainly ethnic cleansing of sorts. This isn't about self-defense. And countries all over the world now are saying, no, 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 this is not right. Even the UN is not happy for what it's worth. I'm not a fan of the UN, but they can, they can still get it right. And uh, Professor Case van der Peel uh, was, I mean, he's, he's now a retired professor of international relations. And he, he explained uh, why Russia will win and cannot lose. I would recommend going back, but you'll need to go back in the archives. Uh, I think you can find it on TNT's website still, but go and listen to my conversation with Case van der Peel. Uh, it's, it's great. And, um, and then you realize the depth, the depth that Vladimir Putin has. The man really, really does understand how to play chess. Uh, and I mean that metaphorically. I mean, I think he can literally play chess, but metaphorically also, the guy is an incredible strategist. And I would go as far as saying he's the most powerful man in the world. Sure, you might argue that he's one, he's one of them. He's an, he's an oligarch. He's part of the new world order. And I think to some degree that might be true. I mean, he is a political leader and political leaders should always be be viewed with suspicion. But I do think he genuinely cares about the future of Russia. He knows what happened after 1917, you know, when the Tsar was, was executed and when, uh, when, when Russia was aggressively taken over by, by the Bolsheviks, the radical Marxists, you know, and they basically took control of, um, of that entire region and, and pretty much sent it into the toilet. So it's nice to see that at least appearances, Vladimir Putin genuinely cares about the future of Russia. He's not just a politician, but he's more than that. He's a statesman, I think. And, uh, and an, as I said, an incredibly good uh, chess player. Listen to my conversation. Uh, I think it's from February this year. Really, really worth listening to. I'd, I'd also recommend listening to uh, my conversation with Ian Davis. I think it was also around about Feb. And uh, he gave a great outline on, um, let, me, let me just pull it up here. He gave a very, very nice outline on digital identity, CBDCs, um, and of course the dangers of, of, what, of what centralized data means. And it's a, weird, it's a weird idea because a lot of our data is already centralized. Um, it's, it's, it's well established, the banks know everything about us. But what makes central bank digital currencies a little bit different is that they circumvent the government and they, they go straight to the consumer, us. And what, what essentially happens is that the government becomes just a mechanism, an arm of the central bank. And the central bank of the country answers to a bigger central bank. And the ultimate concern with CBDCs is the fact that it's programmable. If you vote wrong or you buy too much red meat or you drive too much in your, 
in your internal combustion car, you can get penalized. And they can just turn off your money. They can extract it. It's not good. It's very, very, it's a very, very dangerous slippery slope and it absolutely will lead to uh, a degradation of, of, of not only sovereignty of a country, but a violation of your individual privacy. You know, everything that, everything that you hold dear becomes the property of the state and the central banks because they, they're in the same bed. I recommend that conversation. Well, I mean, any conversation with Ian Davis, by the way, is, is recommended. He is just so good. Um, he, he, really, he really understands how these things work. But I mean, think about digital identity for a second here, right? And it's, and it's very, very tightly correlated to CBDCs. But a couple, a couple areas to be worried about which are attached to digital ID would be here, yeah, healthcare, finance, food, travel, human humanitarian responses. I mean, so in other words, charitable stuff, e-commerce, your online shopping, which is a big thing now, social media, e-government, that's coming. The World Economic Forum is a big fan of this concept. Telecoms, everything you do and say with, with friends and family is connected to your digital ID. And of course, with AI, your, ent your entire conversation can be transcribed and put into text format. Smart cities, 15 minute cities, we hear about these things. I was in Amsterdam in October, and I think that Amsterdam is ripe. It's absolutely 100% ready to be a 15 minute city. Everybody rides bicycles, it's, it's culturally ready, <laughs> you know. Uh, here where I live, the bottom tip of Africa, Cape Town, um, it's not going to be easy to implement um, a smart city. But I certainly think that attempts will be made in, in, in pockets around, around the country. Um, I've seen, for example, in Pretoria, which is South Africa's capital, there is a development um, on, the, on the outskirts of the city, uh, which openly states it's going to be a smart city development. Huge, massive. And I think that there's a smart city development already being planned uh, for um, Durban, which is, on the, which is on the east coast of South Africa. It's a horrible city. I wouldn't recommend going there. Um, and once all of these things are connected via digital ID and CBDCs, which of course is your currency, you're in, you're in big trouble. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what to make of of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I, I'm really not sure. I'm on the fence. Because on the one hand, I am I'm in favor of, of it due to the fact that it's decentralized and it's outside of the scope of the government and central banks. And people have sometimes said, yes, but it's part of a PSYOP. I, I don't know. I don't think that's true. I don't see evidence of that. It does genuinely seem to be outside of the parameters of what the central banks and the government are able to to control. But it doesn't seem to be getting any traction. I mean, I see Bitcoin is moving all over the place now, as it does every few years, and it's going up in value, and that's great. Okay, now what? What do you do? 
with Bitcoin. I don't know. Here, here in South Africa, I can't do much with it. It's just, it's just a number on on a cell phone. I, I, I can't really buy anything with this. Like a handful of things here and there that I can trade with, but nothing substantial. I'm not quite sure yet what what the utility of Bitcoin is. Maybe it will have in the future, but for now, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I can't. I don't know what to do or, or, or with it or say about it. So that's why I'm on the fence. Gold and silver, as we know, are fantastic. They have been around for thousands of years, and they probably will remain for thousands of years. They are stable, and they are physical. You can actually hold it in your hand. And I think there's something there's something good about that, because if the electricity gets turned off, you can still hold gold. The only complication is that it has weight. And, um, and, and if you have a lot of gold, then, you know, you're going to struggle to carry it. But, but I, think, I think the fact that it's physical and it's real and it's tangible, I think there's something, there's something in that. Um, because then you can, you can agree on its value. Whereas, uh, I suppose you can agree on the value of, of, of cryptocurrency, but it's not there. It's not real. It's just an algorithm. Nevertheless, that's... That's a conversation that I had with Ian Davis uh, back in Feb, I think. Great conversation. I- I've had a few with Ian since then, but but this one was about the dangers of digital ID and CBDCs. And I remember speaking about the dangers of of CBDC back in 2020, before the vaccine rollout, uh, vaccine, quote, unquote. I spoke about it then uh, because I was already reading um, brilliant insights from Catherine Austin Fitz. But when I spoke about it to my circles, I got laughed at. Uh, it's just a, consp- it's a conspiracy theory. You're a conspiracy theorist, Jim. <laughs> and uh, so I left it. Well, it turns out that it's now a real thing, you know, and uh, the banks are absolutely rolling them out <laughs> at different phases around the world. But it's, it's yeah, it's real. It's not even a conspiracy theory anymore it's not even a conspiracy it's just a reality i would suggest listening to people like Catherine austin fitz and john titus and ian davis avoid cbdc's as much as you can uh, just do not fall for the variations of of these of these government slash central bank controlled currencies i don't i don't know i don't know if that's if that's a long-term solution, just to resist, maybe it is. I don't know. It it seems inevitable. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. It it seems inevitable that it's going to become part of our lives. Like cell phones have become part of our lives. I remember back in the '90s when cell phones were introduced here in South Africa, and uh, you know the majority of people around me didn't have a cell phone. And excuse me. And I remember a few people saying, "I'm gonna, I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fall for this." This is uh, this is Luciferian stuff, <laughs> you know. And uh, now everybody's got a cell phone, and it's pretty difficult to get around on a day to day basis without a cell phone. You feel lost. When I leave the house, when I leave the house, and I haven't got my phone with me, I feel lost, uh, and quite literally lost because I often use maps. <laughs> sure, I use Apple Maps because I'm trying to not use Google Maps, but the reality is that Google Maps. It's just superior. It's it's just better than Apple Maps. 
Uh, before I go to the break, quickly, Alex, how is uh, Apple Maps in Australia? In South Africa, it's certainly inferior to <laughs> to Google Maps. <laughs> Alex says it's not very good either in Australia. <laughs> All right, on that note, let's go to a break. My name is Jim. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. The Net Zero Con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory, it's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24 7. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I am supposed to have a guest, but he didn't pitch up. This happens from time to time. So I am just reminiscing going back through old shows that I've done over the course of this year and recommending them, which you can certainly find on TNT's website, but you'll need to scroll back a little bit. I'm at the moment, I think around February, March. Uh, by the way, if you if you do want to drop me a message, uh, germwarfare at tntradio.live, germ with a J, obviously, germwarfare, um, and say hi in the chat. I've got the live chat open, and uh, uh, I see here that uh, someone is saying that... Um, Crypto uh, is 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 not good, uh, not a good idea. Land, food, water, tools, weapons, and most important, a good network of trustworthy family and friends. Yeah, I mean that's what I was kind of get uh, kind of getting at. Um, that's why I said I'm on the fence about crypto. Um, I'm not entirely certain what to make of it. I think I think it has a lot of potential, and as long as it stays outside of the um, the control window. You know, of of mainly the central banks. I think the central banks are more, are more of a concern than the government. The government is just really the um, the pawn, the the pawn piece. You know, of the um, of the of the central banks. They're they're the danger. Um, another great show that I did a few months ago. Uh, 
was, well, I did actually a, a couple um, with regards to COVID. So I chatted to Astrid Stuckelberger. Uh, that was, um, I think, around about April. Uh, she's a former WHO insider, and uh, she, she chatted to me about the the treaty that a lot, of, a lot of people have forgotten about, but essentially the World Health Organization, which we must never forget, it's the health wing of the UN. So it has the same agenda, it has the same goal. It wants to control the world through health, public health. And it wants all the countries of the world essentially to hand over their own authority to the WHO. The WHO wants to become the sole provider of, shall we say, public health care internationally. Um, in the sense that it, 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 not in terms of providing healthcare, sorry, let me rephrase that. The information surrounding healthcare. In other words, if there's a pandemic, it wants to control how countries respond. Accepting uh, that what we just had was not a pandemic, right? It was a hoax, it was a scam. There was no pandemic, right? There wasn't even a virus, right? They simply rebranded flu, which in itself isn't even a virus. It's an environmentally caused uh, slash seasonal illness, which has been happening forever and forever and forever. So COVID is just a rebranding of that. And it's actually so disappointing. Um, and so really interesting also. I was chatting to somebody a few days ago and um, and he was telling me that he's got uh, COVID. And it made me realize that I haven't heard the word flu being used in years. In years. So what ha what has happened is that they have changed, they've changed our language. All right. And people are going along with this as if it's completely normal. You know, I, I was actually very pleasantly surprised. I got a call from a friend uh, just before my show. <laughs> and he, he's got a cold and he said, uh, the reason why I sound like this is because I think I've got a bit of flu. <laughs> and then he laughed because he, he knows that, I, that I've been joking about nobody saying flu for years. But isn't it so interesting how they've successfully changed the language of millions and millions and millions of people? Um, and then after I did that show with Astrid, I, I did a show with, uh, with Christine Massey. Uh, and, she, well, and she spoke about the fact that uh, SARS-CoV-2 has not been isolated. And this is, a, this is a, a, a very good conversation in the sense that it goes very much into the details of the existence of SARS-CoV-2. Now, I know that there are differing views on this. I personally am of the opinion that it doesn't exist in any meaningful way. Um, I think that whatever they see under a microscope, EM um, more specifically, certainly is there, but I don't think that is what's causing illness. And what's interesting in that conversation that I had with, with, with Christine, is she was talking about how I think around about 150 or 200 organizations, including governments around the world, have all admitted that they have no evidence of an isolated SARS-CoV-2 virus. And isolated is exactly that. It means you need to be able to see exactly that little 
microbe. You've got to see that microbe under intense magnification. And that's not possible because it's simply too small. They don't have that. It's, it's, just, it's just not doable. Many guests of mine have spoken about this from Andy uh, Kaufman to Sam Bailey to um, Tom Cowan. You know, Mike Stone. They just haven't been able to to isolate this. Now you could argue that it's that it's irrelevant. I keep hearing conversations like, well, I had something. Okay, sure, you had something, but I also had something in the year 2015. Was that COVID? No, you we don't know. It can be anything. So go back to that conversation that I had with Christine Massey. Very, very interesting. And then after that, I chatted to Michael Bryant, and he spoke about the the timeline of the the the, the actual campaign of fear, the propaganda campaign. If we go back to early 2020, you remember that that whole thing started in northern Italy. Uh, and then and then it spread from there, Wuhan, you know, and then of course, China man bad, you know, everybody, everybody thinks that uh, that China is the enemy. I mean, there's another series of shows that I did a few months ago. Um, debunking and or slash challenging narratives and myths about China. I, for example, for the largest part of my life, have seen China as the enemy, <laughs> the world, the world's enemy. And I laugh now when I think about it. It's so stupid. It's so infantile because it's not like that at all. Thinking that is a consequence of being propagandized by Western propaganda. And that's part of the divide and, and conquer mechanism. You take sides. Ah, it's the West versus the East. But what you need to realize is that it's not the West versus the East. <laughs> it's the oligarchs and the globalists versus us. All right, that, that's also been a very big realization for me. I've met a lot of Chinese people <laughs> and they're great. And I've met a lot of Muslims and they're great too. You know, um, Iran, Iran's also the other enemy. That's, a, that's another show or two that I did, although it's a little bit uh, closer to where we are now. Um, but I would recommend going, going to listen to my shows about Iran and China. And if you really honestly, if you honestly in your heart of hearts want to unravel what you think you know about the world and how you how you piece together the, the 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 big picture challenge those ideas that you have about the middle east and about uh china and even maybe even russia i mean the east has always traditionally been the enemy of the west i mean that was what the cold war was about uh it was about Western Anglo-American superiority. And this is what NATO is about, you know, and this is why BRICS is forming because it's, it's a response. You know, it's, it's a response. It's a bunch of developing countries, a lot of them in the East, who've had enough. They're tired. They're tired of, of constantly being, being pressed down, you know. Uh, and I'm in one of those countries, so that's that's why I I know I know how this how this looks from from where I'm sitting, but I also don't think it's a good idea to 
side then with only with bricks because then you 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 you're falling into the trap of divide and conquer again it's a very good idea to try and maintain a bird's eye view of of the situation i think i think only take part when you have a dog in the fight Ge geopolitics very often you don't have a dog in the fight actually if you think about it where you do have a dog in the fight is when it comes to the violation of your freedoms, your, your, uh, your privacy, your sovereignty as an, as an individual. Now that you can take sides on. I'm, I have no issue taking sides on, on, on value judgments. I think rape is a terrible thing. I take sides. I think abortion is a terrible thing. I take sides. You know, um, but when it comes to something like, I don't know, Israel and Palestine, I'm not going to take sides. I don't have a dog in that fight. I'm neither a Jew nor a Muslim. Why should I uh, pretend that I got a dog in that fight when I don't? I don't have a dog in the Russian-Ukrainian fight either. But that doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I can't comment or critique one side more than the other. I certainly do criticize the Israeli government a lot more. Why? Because the Israeli government has a greater Israel agenda. It wants to, it wants to remove Palestinians from uh, that whole Palestinian area, Gaza, because it wants to take over that area. We also know that the U.S. wants to create a war with Iran. Uh, Brian Burdettick, who's been on my show, has has shown through uh, the 2009 Brookings Institution document, which which you can find online. I think it's about 170 pages, and it explains how the US needs to create a war with Iran. The US doesn't like the, the fact that Iran had a revolution in 1979. Now, does that mean that I'm pro-Iran? No, it doesn't mean that, because I don't have a dog in that fight. But I certainly can critique what Washington is doing. There's no reason for US foreign policy to be absolutely so mindlessly aggressive. Being, being on the African continent, I have seen the differences between what the US offers and say, for example, what China offers. I can't think of, of pretty much anything that America has built here in South Africa. Very few things. I can think of a lot of things that China has built or Chinese companies. You know, I, I, just, I just don't see any benefit to siding with the United States when they are sitting with 850 military bases outside of their own country, most of them around China and Russia and that, that, that region of the world. But I also have no reason to side with China. Patriotism is about siding with what's closest to you. It's your immediate, it's your immediate environment. So first and foremost, would be God and family. That is where my patriotism lies. And then of course, it, you, it goes outwards a little bit, like a, like a ripple. You know, if you throw, if you drop a stone into a pond, it goes, that, that, that ripple goes outwards. And the further outwards it goes, uh, the, the, the less of a dog in that fight I have. Um, let's have a look at the comments here. My neighbor has had convid five or six times ever since she had five or six jabs. Ooh, 
<laughs> it's just a coincidence. <laughs> it just happens to be coinciding with the jabs. Uh, maybe she needs more jabs so that she won't get any more convert. <laughs> but thanks for that. Uh, who who said that? That was blodders. Um, I think uh, Singsby uh, says, I uh, still want to try the South African wine. You, I think that we export our wine. I mean, when I was in Amsterdam, I saw South African wine. There. So Singsby, wherever you are, uh, presumably you can find South African wine. And we have very, very good wine. And I, I don't mind saying that because I keep acknowledging that we have very little going for us on the African continent. I mean, right now, right now, as I'm talking to you, I have no electricity. It's off. So how am I speaking to you? Well, I've got backup power. All right. So, so that's one great thing about, about having an inefficient, useless government. Um, it, it means that you are forced to become more independent, more self-reliant. It's a great thing because when all these rolling blackouts come to your part of the world, and they will, because it's part of sustainable development, which Ian Davis has spoken about, uh, then you can, uh, you can email me for tips. <laughs> because, because when you have, like, like we do, around six hours per day of no electricity, I can tell you right now, you, you become very creative, um, extremely creative. You, you, you learn how to, how to live without electricity or with at least with backup electricity. Um, so my shows on, um, on, on COVID and viruses, I think have been exceptionally interesting. They've, they've changed my paradigm without a doubt. Sam Bailey is one of, one of the most influential guests that I think I've ever spoken to regarding health. By the way, just on that, on that. Whether or not viruses exist, and I know this comes up a lot, but whether or not viruses exist isn't actually all that important to me. Because as David Rasnick said on my, excuse me, on my show, and he's a biochemist of 50 or 60 years, he said that what, what matters more is, is viral disease, not viruses. Because you could you could substitute a virus for an exosome and you could get into all sorts of detailed conversations that kind of go nowhere. You know, it's, you, you're getting caught up in, in ultra, ultra detailed analysis. But what actually matters is if I'm sick and I stand next to you, are you gonna get sick? And that is the conversation for me that's a hell of a lot more interesting. And, um, and it's one that I've been thinking about for at least two and a half years now. And I've interviewed a number of, of guests on this. Um, and it, but I, I think it goes into the realm of what, what, would, what would they call it? Terrain theory, I think is the term. But it certainly inspired me to, to read um, some books on this. I, I recommend a book called Virus Mania. I think you can get it on Amazon. Um, and I also recommend a more complicated book called, I think it's, I think it's called uh, Beauchamp or Pasteur. No, I, I know I'm not pronouncing Beauchamp correctly because he was French. Um, and that book was written almost 100 years ago. Um, and it basically outlines how Louis Pasteur was fraudulent. And he's one of the sort of fathers or grandfathers of, of um, sort of modern medicine. But I do think that a large part of modern medicine is complete propaganda. I think that pharmaceutical companies have made 
a killing, literally a killing, out of creating fake illnesses and then creating drugs for those fake illnesses and then marketing them. I spoke to, uh, I forget which university now he he represents, I think maybe California State University. Uh, what was his name now? I've gone blank. But his book was uh, The Illusion of Evidence-Based Medicine. Get it. Buy it. It's on Amazon. The Illusion of Evidence-Based Medicine. Excellent book. And I interviewed him. And um, and he ex exposed a number of pharmaceutical companies that created not just their own illnesses, but their own peer-reviewed processes, their own journals. Merck is one of the companies. They created a fake vac. Oh, sorry, not a fake, but they created a vaccine for a fake problem in in girls. Very, very dangerous. And then they create that they, they they bought their own journal, employed staff to peer review their own science, and then put it on the market. Think about that. So how many how many illnesses out there are just rebrands, rebrands of other illnesses, or just the same thing with different names and different medicines? I mean, a pharmaceutical company is not—it's not a—it's not, not a movement. It's not a charity. It's not there to actually make people healthier. It's there to sell a product, and the product is based on people being sick. Pharmaceutical companies want people to be sick, so that they can give the solution, and make a lot of money from it. Let's go to a break, Alex. My name is Jim. This is uh, TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. They say that everybody has a podcast these days, and I recently found out that Roseanne Barr has one, so I guess it's true. Now, I soured on Roseanne when she did this at a Padres game back in 1990. Well, here she is 33 years later on a podcast, hers, with none other than Tucker Carlson. Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to the Roseanne Barr Podcast. I got a good one today. I got the guest of all guests. How do you feel about Trump saying he would consider you for vice oh, president? Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I put that in the category of asteroids striking the earth. <laughs> good or bad, <laughs> it's so far out the side, outside of my control that I, you know, would I'm, you? I'm flattered. Yeah, it is flattering, isn't it? For sure, but I mean, it's hard to, you know, I've never been in politics, I've never. Would you ever do it? Would I accept? Yeah, if you really have to ask think you. About that. Um, I mean, I spent my whole life looking at politicians and commenting on them and passing judgment on them, and I've never run for, you know, room mother, and so the idea of that is so far from anything I've ever done. It's kind of hard even to imagine. I didn't hear the word no. <laughs> Did you? Thanks, Roseanne. And thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Whatever happens to good, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, and it's become our automatic answer to so much. Hey, how's things? Good. Your mom, your weekend? Good, good. 
Is good even that good anymore? At the Salvos, we believe good deserves better. Let's reclaim its true meaning. To us, good has always been about making a difference, and good never picks or chooses who it helps. Isn't it time we all remember what good really means? TNT. You're with Jeremy now on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Thank you for keeping me company in the live chat. My guest didn't pitch up, and so I've just been uh, reflecting on shows that I've done over the year, and wow, I've learned so much, and I hope you have too. I see there's some great comments. Uh, well, there's lots of comments. Uh, the science is fraudulent also. HPV vaccine. Yes, that's the one I was referring to, HPV. Uh, that was the one um, that was uh, exposed in the book, uh, the illusion of evidence-based medicine. I just wish I can remember his name now. Um, Alex, see if you could find his name for me quickly. The Illusion of Evidence-Based Medicine. That's the name of the book. I did interview him, and I feel terrible that I've that I've forgotten his 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 name. Um, I interviewed uh, just a few months ago Andrew Johnson. Now, yes, interesting one. Directed energy weapons and their use on 9-11. That was an unbelievably interesting conversation. In fact, I've interviewed him twice. I've also interviewed Judy Wood, who wrote the book, uh, Where Did the Towers Go? Listen, if you really want to challenge, <laughs> okay, here we go. If you really want to challenge your views on 9-11, go to Amazon, buy the book, Where Did the Towers Go? by Dr. Judy Wood. Every, everything you think you know about 9-11 will get overturned a second time. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it goes it goes in steps all right so the first step is the official story that uh, a, a bunch of inexperienced muslims um a bunch of in sorry thanks thanks alex his name is lehman mchenry there we go lehman mchenry the illusion of evidence based ev um, e evidence the illusion of evidence based medicine there we go okay judy wood's book uh, where did the towers go? <laughs> it's 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 a it's a paradigm shift, right? So so initially you would think, well, the official story goes like this: a bunch of inexperienced Muslims with with uh, some Nokia thirty three tens, controlled by an old Muslim guy in a cave with a grey beard. They orchestrated the biggest terrorist attack on U.S. soil. They flew planes into the twin towers, and the towers just amazingly fell. Uh, they flew a plane <laughs> into the Pentagon, which requires incredible skills. Uh, and then, of course, a, and then one plane just didn't make it. Now, once you've once you've let go of that nonsense, and uh, you've gone from being a toddler to an adult, you realize that that uh, <laughs> it's nonsense, right? It's it's just crap. But once you double double check what you think you know about the alternative. Uh, you then go from stage B to stage C, and that's Judy Wood's work. <laughs> where, did, where did the towers go? Andrew Johnson speaks quite a lot on, on her work, and he was on my show just a couple of months ago. Please do yourself a favor, go and listen to that. Trust me, it is unbelievably interesting. It will certainly, certainly challenge you. Uh, if you don't believe in directed energy weapons, go and have a look at what happened in Hawaii recently. What the hell happened there? Weird things happened there. You know, cars were melting. You know, the fires don't do this kind of stuff. Um, 
Let's have a look at the comments here quickly. Um, no, nothing, nothing worth reading out loud. But I will say that that Andrew Johnson show is brilliant. Um, Mark McDonald, he is a regular. Well, he's been on a few times. A psychologist in Los Angeles. He had the most brilliant conversation with me on TNT also a few months ago about why transgenderism is dangerous. See, so I like to focus on two things, geopolitics. And when I say geopolitics, I sort of mean not just the way in which countries engage with countries, but also who controls things. And, you know, how, how is that puzzle pieced? But part of that also is culture, culture wars. Um, I was chatting to, to a friend recently, South African, who, 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 who emigrated to New Zealand and, uh, they're really, really struggling to fit in. Um, and I understand this, right? So it's not about New Zealand. Um, it's about the cultural differences. People forget uh, that that we are very different depending on where we are in the world. Elon Musk has got a very confusing position to, for me. He talks about humans. He doesn't seem to see borders or, but he does because he's talking about the borders in the United States, but then he refers to people as, as humans the whole time. It's always a super high level reference to people um and i i struggle with that because people are different we are noticeably different and we do things differently i'm south african and as a result i do things quite differently to 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 alex who's australian um and we obviously have overlaps because we sort of have the same type of of long-term background we both come from um, the sort of Commonwealth, uh, South Africa is not actually part of the Commonwealth anymore, but you, you know what I'm saying, right? Our, our, our long-term trajectory goes back towards, um, the UK, Britain, but then you have Asians that are, that don't have that history. Culturally, people are very different and LGBTQ and transgenderism and all this nonsense falls into the realm of, of, of culture, not in the realm of geopolitics. And I think it's very, very important to, to touch on these subjects also because they are infiltrating society. I think Western society, uh, or shall we say Anglo-American society, is crumbling. The empire is falling, without a doubt. It, a lot of it has fallen already, and there's no stopping it. And a lot of that has been done internally not necessarily externally, it's easy to always point the finger and blame others. But we are the ones who allow a third bathroom to get built at the school. You know, uh, if there's a, a boy's bathroom and a girl's bathroom, and then they want to build a transgender bathroom, you can't blame other countries for that. It's the, the people who fund the school, they need to say no, no. Just outright, no, don't let it happen. People have to take a stand. Um, this is where, where Matthias Desmet was, I think, on point early on in the, in the, in the, in the, the, the COVID scam. We allowed a lot of this to happen. We kept blaming authorities for making us wear masks. But just think about it. Did anybody hold a gun at your head and say, you will wear a mask? No, at least not where I live. 
we just weren't allowed into shops. So then you make a choice. Do I go into the shop or do I not go into the shop? And a lot of people put on a mask so they could go into a shop. It was a choice. And it was our choice. We are the ones that complied. And so we have ourselves to blame for falling into the trap of mass control. And the argument is that there's safety in numbers. So that's why everybody did it. Think about an airplane, 150 people on board, right? And everybody's wearing a mask. They're, they're wearing a mask because they're complying, not because anybody's holding a gun to their head. You know, and a lot of people don't like hearing that because they want to point the finger. They want to blame somebody else. But you got to understand that you made a choice to put on a mask or you made a choice to go into a shop with that mask on or you made a choice to, you know, quote unquote, vaccinate yourself. And I made the choice not to do that. Sure, here and there, I, I, I put on a mask uh, because like all of us, I'm human and I'm not an android who can just keep going. You know, what's all that, that Duracell bunny and go for seven times longer. There were some battles I just gave up. I just didn't want to fight certain battles. It was, it was exhausting. The, the lockdowns and the COVID thing just didn't go away. It just kept on um, coming at us. And so there were times where I just thought, I, I, I want to fly. I want to fly between Cape Town and Johannesburg. I want to go and see family. To drive there is too expensive and too, just simply too far. So there were battles that I just chose to lose, and I admit that. And I know that I'm not alone. But it was just a mask. It wasn't an injection. That I was willing to, to lose a lot of, of personal freedom and income and whatever else. I was never, ever, ever going to allow an injection. An injection. Just think about this. Some concoction, some cocktail, right, gets injected into you. So that you can, I don't know, uh, go overseas. For me, that's not worth it. That's not worth it. I don't want to suddenly die from climate change because of that. You know? Um, so, yes, I um, read Turtles All the Way Down. Yep, I, I do have that book. Thanks, uh, uh, Mogden. Um, and yes, I have interviewed uh, Lester. Uh, um, Dawn and, oh, what's their name now? What are their names? I've, got, I've also gone blank. They wrote, uh, What Really Makes You Ill. I'm so sorry, I'm having a, I'm having a blank. Uh, but yes, I have interviewed them. They've been on my TNT show. I would strongly recommend going to listen to them. They were on about a year ago. Maybe a bit more, actually. Um, and then just if I come back slightly more recently, because I'm running out of time now, go and listen to my show last week with Bob Moran. Hilarious, absolutely hilarious cartoonist who left uh, the Telegraph in the UK. Uh, he he was so funny on my show last week. Um, and um, Kevin Corbett was a really interesting show also. A few months ago, uh, he, he chatted to me about mental health. Now, yes, an interesting one. You know, does mental illness exist? I think... The knee-jerk response is, yes, it does exist. But the question is, what is it? Like, how do you 
How do you define it? What are the symptoms? So, you know, like, what are the symptoms? How do you, can you see it under a microscope? No. So there's certain behavior and things, but the, what makes it really interesting is that it seems to be the case that anybody who responds somewhat differently in, to an environmental vector might be considered mentally ill. I was told for most of my life that I've got ADHD and ADD. And I remember when I was young, my mother used to fight with the idea of whether or not I should be put on Ritalin. And she chose against it. So good was a good decision. And in hindsight, I'm very grateful. But I don't think that ADD and ADHD exist. I've come to the conclusion, I don't think these things are real. I think they are made up by the pharmaceutical industry. Because what is ADD and ADHD? It's nothing, you can't see it. It's just somebody who's bored. <laughs> you just get bored, you know, and suddenly you've got an attention deficit disorder. It's a disorder and it needs medication. No, there has to be a different, a different way of looking at this. And thankfully, I think there is a different way of looking at it. I think it's just connected to perhaps some, you know, other things um, like anxiety and stuff, which again, could be related to things like diet. If I eat sugary stuff, then I become very ADD, <laughs> you know? Um, and thankfully, I'm, I'm trying not to eat too much sugary stuff. And there's another, another series of conversations I recommend that I've had this year is with uh, Tim Noakes, one of my favorite people in the world. He has had such a positive impact on my life. Um, he promotes the idea of, of low carbohydrate diets. He's a sports scientist, one of the most highly rated sports scientists in the world. My life is supremely um, better because I, because I eat a somewhat ketogenic diet, low carbohydrate, lots of fat. You know, I don't drink milk. I drink cream in my coffee, for example. My coffee is not, it's never instant. I grind my own beans, you know, and, um, and health. Health is a really, really big one. I've, I've done a lot of shows on health with permaculture, etc. So, man, now that I think about it, I could just go on for hours. I mean, I've done so many interesting topics and talking points over, over the last year. Just go onto uh, TNT's website, scroll to um, my, my show, go back and listen to some of those shows. Man, they are so good. Really, really so good. I am running out of time now. So I want to thank you for, for, for keeping me company. Uh, um, lots and lots of comments. Yes, thank you, Dawn Lester and David Parker. There we go. Uh, what really makes you ill? Um, thank you to everybody in the comments. I can't. There's a lot of comments. There's a huge amount of comments. Yeah, I can't read all of them, but but thank you for for chatting. I have kept the chat open. It's been very nice knowing that you have kept me company because my guest stood me up. It's happened a couple times this year, but it's given me a, a wonderful opportunity to, to chat about shows that I've done this year. And I really, really, really have thoroughly enjoyed doing all of them. I've learned a lot. I hope you've learned a lot. It's been wonderful uh, today, in fact, even. Great, great lineup uh, coming up this week. So I'll catch you tomorrow. Send me an email, jimwarfare at tntradio.live. Uh, yeah, I think that's all my housekeeping. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Mm -hmm.